Hi there, welcome to an episode of an Inside View podcast in association with On The Ball Team Building. I'm your host, Jamie Finn. If this is your first time listening, please do go back to episode one and have a listen. If you haven't done so already, please do click subscribe. There is a business or sports person in each of us, and we hope that our guest stories will help our listeners to chase their dreams. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 64 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. Big shout out to GRG Sports and Vintry Haber Asset Management for the continued support. We really appreciate it guys. We're delighted to be joined by co-founder and managing director of GRG Sports, Shiroz Akram. As the first Pakistan-born player to win in All-Ireland, he's a role model for young people from non-Irish backgrounds. Coming to Ireland at the age of four, with no English and no knowledge of Gaelic football, to win an All-Ireland medal is an incredible achievement. Shiroz set up GRG Sports in 2018 with two previous Mayo footballers, Tom Parsons and Keane Hanley. The support that Shiroz and the guys have shown and have given an Inside View podcast has been incredible and we're extremely grateful for it. They also have beautiful retro jerseys now on sale, so be sure to head over to their website, GRG Sports, and be sure to get your order in. There's no doubt we have a huge amount to cover, so without further ado, let's bring them on. Hi, Shiroz. I know you're you're doing your thesis at the moment, so we have a lot on, um, so I appreciate you taking time out to come on the Inside View podcast. How are you keeping these days? I'm good, Jamie. How, how are things yourself? And secondly, thanks for having me on. I know it's a busy period for both of us, but um, I look forward to our chat now over the next half an hour to 40 minutes. Good, good, good. It might be a bit longer than that now, but sure, look, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. see how it goes. <laughs> so look, um, I suppose the, the biggest thing I, I like to kind of delve into is I like to chat to guests is bring us through the, the COVID-19 pandemic, I suppose the first six weeks of it and how, you know, how you adjusted to it from a, a personal perspective and then from a business perspective. Um, on a personal note, I think it was, it was um, slow getting around to um, the fact that the world was going to change. You know, nobody kind of had an idea. Initially, we were looking at two weeks and the, the government was saying, oh, two weeks and things will be back to normal. Um, so I was unsure if I was going to stay up in Dublin because I was doing um, my final year in DC at the time. It was around, I think, March. So I decided to come home for a week or so and then decided to move back. But then uh, things changed so dramatically um, that I ended up moving home then for good at the end of March. Um, so I think no more than anyone else, it was it was a, a bit confusing on what was going to happen. Um, I think even to this day, people are a bit unsure on how uh, life is going to change, but um, we've got through it. So it's, uh, it's good to have, uh, have most of it um, past us and uh, behind us at this stage. No, definitely, definitely. And did you um, did you experience any, any you know, if I suppose, I wouldn't say mental health, but like, did you, you know, do you find it challenging at times? I suppose everyone did, really. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, I think everyone found it a bit difficult at the start, um, being being stuck within your own household and then the two k radius and having to go train on your own. Um, it was difficult at the start, but then there was guys around the town that were coming up to the pitch. So I lived right beside the pitch. You could meet them and do your runs socially distanced, obviously. Um, so it was good to be able to socialize, um, not to the normal normality of training, but still have a few guys up there running at the, the arms distance or a couple of meters distance, but being able to talk to them and having trainer partners there helped um, after the first few weeks. Good, good. No, definitely, definitely. And like, 
uh, you know, especially like with yourself and, you know, Keen and, and, and Tom, um, I love to kind of get, well, first of all, yourself, I love to get an insight into how you balance everything. You know, you're running a business, you're a full-time student doing thesis at the moment, which I can totally relate how draining that it can be and, and you know, how stressful it is. Um, and, you know, you're trying to build a career for yourself as well, in, obviously in conjunction with, with GRG Sports, but at the same time, focusing on GRG sports and hopefully make a career in that. So long-winded, how do you find how do you find time to balance everything in conjunction with football? Um at times it can be very difficult and draining, but I think uh, it's about getting the processes in place. Um like you mentioned the lockdown and you, you mentioned how it affected the business. Like on the business side, lockdown pretty much shut us down. Mm-hmm. But it was a, it was a it was a very good time for us to actually put processes into place and clean up things and um, during the lockdown period, we actually ended up moving into a premises. So we actually worked on little things that'll help us when we when we were getting busy on, at, at this moment in time when we are busy. Um, so I think organization on that part um, and then just being a driven individual, like you, you look at the two other guys, all three were so driven. Um, so I think that helps as well, that we want to go and achieve and do more. So um, I suppose our characters come into play there as well. Um, and then just having the skills in place, having learned them from football being being committed and driven um to the sport and to the team i think that relays into into your life and um we've we've taken that in our stride i suppose what would your time management skills be like whether consciously or subconsciously like would you structure out your day or would you structure out your week um we we try to structure out i i personally try to structure out. i'd like to designate time to grg certain hours of the day and then obviously my own thesis um and then football obviously takes up so much time between training with the team and then doing your own individual stuff, whether that's recovery, stretching and gym sessions. So um, I think you need to get the balance. And then obviously you've got the social aspect. You've got your family and friends to uh, to um, give time to as well. You know, you, you kind of want to, uh, as I call it, the circle of life. You want to give right balance to everything. And that's what I try and do. Obviously, at times it doesn't go to plan and um, other things give and take more. So um, you just have to make sure you get the balance right. And if one thing's taking too much time one week, you try and give more time to the other other two or three things in your life. And that's how I go with it, I suppose. What's this kind of been about being conscious, you know, conscious about it too, like, you know, you know, being aware that if you're, if something is, you know, depleting in your life, you know, obviously adjust to it and, and uh, address it as well. Um, I suppose, look, a big thing I like to do with guests uh, shows is I like to, you know, you have we have the person in in front of you now, the person I'm looking at here. Um, but what makes you tick tick? You know, um, how do you end up where you are today? So let, we'll bring it back to you know to the early days. How did you end up in Balahadream in Mayo, little town in County Mayo slash Roscommon, depending on which way you want to you want to yeah. go there? <laughs> well, I'd say Mayo. Well, technically the rest is Roscommon, but I'd say Mayo, uh, not too many people. Well, some people might be happy with it, but uh, we all have our opinions. Um, how do we end up there? I suppose it's, it's down to my family, um, my mam's side. So my uncle was already over here. Um, he was in Balhadreen, living in Balhadreen. And he, he basically got my mom and dad, over, initially my dad over just for a, a better life for um, our family, I suppose. Um, it was a, a meat factory at the time, Don Meat Factories in Balhadreen. They, they employed a lot of um, Pakistanis in particular. And that's where my dad started off. And that's how he got over. And then um, a couple, I think a year or so later, um, 
we we followed followed him when he I suppose had his um uh, himself set up and you know with the job and accommodation and so what um then we followed suit and came over to Balladrine which is nearly 21 years now in 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 January so um it's it's been a long time and we've lived in Balladrine ever since you remember that period I you probably think you were about maybe four were you three or four at the time I was four yeah can you remember what it was like or it's it can be hard I know I know what you mean um I suppose I can. I can remember um, certain things. Like, you remember going into primary school at the start. Um, I remember the first couple of days in primary school and thinking, where where the hell am I? You know, coming from a warm climate to the change in infrastructure, the buildings, the people, everything. Um, it was it was a shock to the system. Um, and then, obviously, coming into Ireland in wintertime, uh, the, the huge difference to be seen straight away was the weather. Um so I'd never seen snow before. So that was my first time experiencing snow in Ireland within a couple of days being here. So that was that was a bit of a shock as well. And then the language. Um, like any child growing up, you kind of depend on being able to communicate with others. Whereas I was coming to school and I didn't know um, a yes to a no or I didn't know anything, you know. So I was trying to uh, make best of the, the situation I was in. And then my parents didn't have a lot of English either. So I couldn't really go and ask them and learn from them. So it was, it was a matter of putting myself and um, putting myself into the education system and making sure um, I, I learned and I learned pretty quickly. And how did you go about, this, this might be a super question, but how did you go about actually learning English? Because we say the likes of myself and, and, and all that, although my English might be great, but, you know, you're brought up in an English-speaking house, household you would probably have been brought up in a Pakistani-speaking household. That must be extremely difficult to learn learn English. Uh, even to this day, yeah, we still speak um, Urdu or Punjabi in our house with mom and dad. Um, I suppose what helped was my brother. He was a couple of years ahead of me in school. He was also learning English, so we could um, talk to each other in the English language. But a lot of us was just in school because, again, he was learning from scratch, not as if he had English. Mm-hmm. So it was just applying ourselves in, in school and making sure um we done the work and done extra work um for a couple of years i think up until the end of second class i was getting extra help in english um but i suppose what went my way was because i was at such a young age they say kids pick up languages quicker than adults so i ended up doing english and irish from junior infants on so um given my age i think that 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 stood as an advantage to me as well yeah they say you know at that age your brain is like a like a sponge absorbs you know everything um look aside from what i'm going to you know delve into next um Balladrine, did it do you play um football in the county in mayo county or is it roscommon so we we've always played uh gaelic football in, in mayo so that's never come to roscommon um but soccer so up, we played our ga in mayo and we played our soccer in roscommon um so i ended up representing roscommon um at the soccer too so um you know it's just it's just funny the way it is but that's just the way it is um it's not it's not how we put it in place it's going back years so whoever decided to move Balladrine into Scotland I suppose it's down to them <laughs> and their decisions and I suppose uh government and moats and whatnot else I'd say there's a, a long-winded story behind it and um, the people will be able to look up themselves if they they're interested uh you said there you you played you represented Roscommon in soccer. Was that um at a kindy cup level or was it different level? 
Uh, yeah, so I played at a number of age groups, so under 12, under 13, under 14, I think. Um, and I, I ended up captain of the Scotland team at the Kennedy Cup. Um, right. Yeah, so I, that was actually my first sport that I was really, really heavily involved in, really passionate about. That's what I wanted. Uh, that's what I aspired to be as, um, like any young child growing up, I suppose. Jeez, and what, what um, well, I suppose this, you know, what, what I was going to ask you is, what, you know, what made you change your mind? But that's, I suppose, when a role model came into place then, wasn't it? Um, role model to an extent, but I think like even when Andy was pushing me to the GA side of things, I still I was still really heavily involved in soccer. I was representing my my county obviously, but I'm not sure if you've heard of regional centres. Mm, um, yeah. so I was part of the regional centre team and myself and Keane were actually part of the Connacht soccer team. We won in All Ireland with the, the Connacht squad as well. Um so I I was soccer mad. I was so driven to be a soccer player if you want, if you want to call it. Um but I suppose experiences to be honest, Jamie, um, I was, I think around 16, 15, 16, and I was going over from club to club to club or so what, um, like for uh, under 19 league. So I went from Galway United to Athlone to Sligo Rovers. Um, but they were all so far from me. Um, like Galway, you're looking at about an hour and a half spin over and back. Um, being 16 years old, I didn't drive, obviously. Um, there's only one person in the family that drove at the time and that was dad and he also worked. So that just didn't work. Tried to make it work with that loan. Again, same thing. And then the last stop and then the last um, club, I suppose, then was Sligo Rovers um, Sligo under 19s. And uh, it just left a bad taste in my mouth, not being able to get over, first of all. And then I wanted, I wanted to sign. Um, I was part of the May under 16 teams at the time um, when we were in a Connacht, Connacht final. I think it's, uh, I'm not sure you're aware, it's Ted Webb competition. That's mm-hmm. run for the May under 16s. I think it could be under 15s now. And I was joint captain for the team. And basically, I was put with an ultimatum that I sign now and I give up, give up GA. You know how um, certain mentalities mm-hmm. are within the two sports. And that just left a very bad taste in my mouth because I was happy to give up the sport. I, I had no problem, but I just lo- looked for a week or two extras to get the, the final played. And um, like me and the team had put in a lot of hard work. I'd, I would have hated to have left them um, for the final hurdle. So at that point, I just decided to step away and I was happy to um, play soccer at a social level rather than looking to uh, make a career out of it, I suppose. And did, did you get any any trials in the UK um, during the Kindy Cup period? I didn't, know. Um, I, I got a couple of Irish Irish trials and stuff. Um, so I'd say maybe it wasn't just as meant to be. Um, looking back at it, and you can look at a number of things, but... That was the, I suppose the the last the last straw or the last whatever you want to call it. And um, at the time I was represented in Mayo at underage level, and then obviously minor football started. So the team were after winning a minor All Ireland, and I had a few friends on that, and I wanted to be a part of that. So I think that's where it kind of shifted to the GA side of things, and I've um, stuck with it ever since. And I'm, I'd say, I'm not to, I'd say I am very happy with the decision I've made. I've come a long way with the sport and what I've done through the sport. So. Um, I'm pretty pleased with my decision. You played with basketball as well, did you? I did in school, in secondary, in secondary school. Um, like growing up, I threw my hand at every sport. I'm not sure if you've heard of Skittles. Um, <laughs> no, we don't but, have that. on carry it on. No, just, yeah, so uh, I played a bit of Skittles and athletics, anything, you name it. Whatever was going in the town, I was kind of throwing my hand at it. Indoor soccer, um, done the whole, po- the whole lot as a child. And I think it's important that kids do actually try out every sport because it's it's so actually um so important for development mm-hmm. i know 
uh, pressures put on children. What when I was playing back in back maybe ten years ago or so, you'd be asked to just pick one sport and stick with it. Whereas I think it's scientifically proven now the more sports that you are um, involved in as a child, it helps your development. It helps develop motor skills and um, actually helps you further down the line when you do go on to just stick with one sport. Um, so I think it, it is important that kids get a taste of everything. Do you think um, sport, we say sport because it, when you were a teenager and, and you alluded to there, you played, you know, you threw your hand at everything. Do you think sport gave you an identity and helped you integrate into the community coming from where, where you did? Absolutely. Yeah. Like uh, thinking back um, with the GEA club, especially, um, and somewhat to the soccer club, like Keane's dad, Andy Hanley, was heavily involved with the soccer club at the time. How good he was and how good a few other families from the GEA side of things were. Not, not just me, my family too. Um, so I think my, my dad and my, my parents were able to make friends in the, in the, the local community through uh, sports that I was involved in. So I think it was very important, not just for myself, but for my family too. Brilliant, brilliant. No, because I, I can just, I can only imagine, you know, okay, sorry, I can't even imagine how difficult it must have been, you know, say for, for yourself, even though you would have been a child, but for your parents, you know, making that move and trying to integrate into the community, it must have been extremely challenging. Um, especially Belhadrine, sorry, like it just, if it's a Dublin, maybe, you know, it's a built up area and all that, but um, it's no, it's great that the, the GA was, you know, was a big contributing factor there in your integration process um i'd like to just delve a bit more into the, the to this uh Chirose, but i think it's important and i think you you know you alluded to it before um so you you can't remember um pakistan as obviously you're so young when you came over but you went back in 17 18 around that period 2018 um, august of 2018 yeah 18 so what was your experience of it um, what was my experience of it like when I say I don't remember a lot or when I've mentioned previously I don't rem- remember bits of it um, like a, a child as a child when you're growing up you, you have certain memories of incidents or events that have happened so they've always stuck with me and stayed in my head but when I went back it was like seeing a country for the first time it's like you um, um, I don't know going to Australia or something I'm not sure if you've ever been but you know you've never seen something and you see it for the first time that's how it was for me when I went back in 2018. It was it was an eye opener, um, and I was actually just talking about it to somebody there. Um, like they asked, could I see myself living in Pakistan? And I like I uh, I'm very quick to answer that one, and the answer is no, because I consider myself at home in Ireland, because um, I've obviously grown up here. My friends, everything is here, um, so I was actually glad to be to be here. And then the, I was thankful at the same time for the sacrifice my parents made because they left their family, their friends, their whole life, everything behind them. So what myself and my brother could have a better future. Um, so I think um, I can't thank them enough for that sacrifice. And um, hopefully I can, um, I can repay, repay them back in some way um, in the years to come. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, look, I don't know how, how I'm going to put this, but we say Ireland now it is as it was in the mid to late mid to early noughties is very different but in the in some ways it's probably still the same and mightn't has mightn't have improved did you 
experience um, racism, you know, in the early days? Or, or, or did you kind of not understand what it was, you know, when you, when you were that young? Um, like at the start, like if you'd asked me this question a few years back, I would have said, no, I didn't experience racism. But then the more that came to light with the Black Lives Matters and other incidents and other people talking about, you're kind of reading up on what was said to them and incidences that they have had, then you can relate to some of that and you kind of think, oh, wait, that actually happened to me. Um, so I think my opinion on that has changed over the last number of years. Um, like the, t- the town and the community of Valadrine have actually been so good, not just to my, my family, but to other families, mo- families moving in. Like we've got the Syri- Syrian refugee centre there as well. Like it's so welcoming. But then um, with the Anathan, you always have that small minority that are that are going to give a bad name to, to everyone, basically. Um, and there was a few um, in that case in Valadrine as well. Like I remember a few incidences where as a child, like minding my own business, going out to the shop to get groceries or milk or bread or butter or whatever you do, you know, um, and people would be shouting stuff across the road too. Um, so there's a few that, that kind of out with my head like that. But as time has gone, I think that, you wouldn't find that in Ballerine at the moment, which is brilliant. Um, not that I know of anyways. Um, whereas going back, I think 15, 16, 17 years, there would have been some of that. Um, so like I've been lucky enough not to get a lot of it, but I know others that do get a lot more of it um, in other places. So as you mentioned, like as much as Ireland has progressed, that there always are people, a handful there that give everyone a bad name and they continue to do so. Those incidents that stick out in your, your brain, um, have you crossed paths with those people in, in different settings since? Um, to be honest, I actually don't even remember some of them individuals because I was four, five, six year old, you know. Um, mm. I just remember the incident and remember it happening, whereas you, don't, you, you tend to kind of block out um, certain things in your head. So I wouldn't even... Even if I met them now, I probably wouldn't recognize them and they probably wouldn't recognize me. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. even if I did meet them, I'd, I'd try and educate them any way I could rather than uh, being um, angry or offended by them. You know, I think uh, there's more to life than being stuck on other people's opinions. Did you ever get any hateful messages or anything online? I haven't personally, but then you always you always read up on stuff and people will send you stuff where people say stuff about you um, and you can always see that. Um, but again, I wouldn't pay, pay, put too much heat on to that. I wouldn't put, I put, wouldn't spend too much time reading up on that sort of stuff because at the end of the day, nobody's opinion is going to change what I'm doing for myself and nobody's opinion is going to change how I am to my friends and family. And that's the only opinions that matter to me. Have you ever experienced, sorry for firing all these questions on you, but um. Yeah, look, it's it's definitely the lack of education on, on their behalf, you know, and it's been stuck in the old mindset and things because the world goes on. Um and you know, 95% of those people or 99% of those people, 99.9% of those people wouldn't say to say that to your face. And I've had um Emika um on, on the podcast before, who's the first Nigerian, I think, to represent Ireland on rage. Um, and he experienced something similar. Um, but he actually confronted the guy in the bar and your man just, uh, you know, shun away straight away. But, uh, you know, it just goes to show that they're all keyboard warriors. Exactly. Um, have you ever experienced on-field, um, I wouldn't say racism or, or mess, you know, messages because of your background? 
yes, I've had just three instances. I've only had three. Luckily, I can count them on one hand. Um, but at the same time, they happened. Um, to one of them was actually at minor level. So I was playing um, a county semi final. Um, I won't name the individual or the club out of respect. Um, so he he just roared it out. Like it wasn't just from me to hear. It was heard by supporters. It was heard by teammates. It was heard by the referee. It was heard by a lot of people, you know, um, he was sent off. Um, and then the other incident was, uh, the other incident was at under 21 and uh, county semi-final again, it was, wasn't as loud, but it was said where, um, one or two other people heard it. Um, but there was no action taken because the referee didn't hear it. Um, they're the two that stick out to me. And then I had one when I was really, really young. I don't remember a whole pile of that, that specific incident, but, um, I have been fortunate that it's only been three, but it, it still happened, which isn't right. Um, and how it was addressed by my teammates, um, I'm thankful for, and my coaches. You know, they really got around me, supported me, um, and I think that's very important. Um, that I didn't actually have to react, um, or I didn't have to fight my own corner. It was good to see that I meant something to my club, and to my friends, um, which has stuck with me ever since. Something that look, it obviously goes without saying, but you know, you, you came to Ireland and you had no knowledge whatsoever of, of uh, Gaelic football. You learned it from a young age. And so basically you went from having no knowledge of it, having played it, um, to winning an All-Ireland minor in 13. And, you know, obviously you, you started in the 21 final in uh, 16, I think, 15 or 16. And that's an incredible turnaround shows and something you should be very like proud of. But, who you know looking back now who was instrumental in, in your progress um like if i if i put it down to one specific person it'd be a bit unfair like and yeah. if i if i go naming everyone uh, i'd be here all day like there was a number of families um like the duns the hanleys the McHughes, the lynches there was there was a good few families that really really supported me and like coming from a family where um, we weren't financially that well off. My dad was the only sole earner in the family. He was most of the time working. So between lifts and bringing me to places and bringing me to trainings and stuff, um, people really supported me. And then obviously the one I always mention, Andy, like the influence he's had on my life, never mind my footballing career has been huge. Um, even to this day, like I still go to him um, for, for things outside of life or business or um for, for, for relationships and you know there'd be anything or everything I could go to him that's the amount of respect and trust I have with Andy you know um so I think there's there's a number of people and then obviously the one I talk a lot about is Andy so I think between all of them they've they've played a huge part and um I'm thankful for for it and I'm I am where I am because of because of those um incidences and those um uh, acts of um helpfulness that they showed to me and my family what what's it like you know what was it like to be the first pakistan you know person to you know to win in all ireland um did you realize the you know the supposed to host you know how such you know it, that it was such a big thing at the time and the uh, supposed responsibility you have now as a result of that um at the time to be honest i didn't didn't know at all uh, like Going into the game, that's not something you're looking at, looking into. As a player, you're just so focused on the game, and then to win an All Ireland as part of that team and to play um, a starting role in that team, 
I think I was I was I was fortunate enough to be on that panel on that team. So I think to win a, an All Ireland as a player in itself is an achievement. Mm-hmm. So I, I never actually looked at the the other aspect of it. Um, it's only in the last couple of years that that's come into play more and more. Um, and then your other question, sorry, I didn't catch this. Yeah, no, I I two questions to, in the one. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Sorry. <laughs> the did you understand the um like I suppose at what point in since have you kind of taken the onus that look maybe I've I've an ability here to you know promote GA and, and say that it's an inclusive for everyone Did you know that you have a bit of responsibility on your shoulders now as a result of of um of winning that All Ireland in thirteen and on twenty one All Ireland as well a couple of years later. Um, I suppose in the last few years, like finishing up college and playing college football, and then you, the more people you meet, the more people that talk about it and they really see it as a, a huge achievement. Initially, I just looked at it as an achievement, uh, as did the other 30-something lads on, on that panel. Um, but in the last number of years, when this guy's messaging you, you know, just people getting in touch because of what I've achieved, you kind of realise, OK, I've actually done something that's a little bit more um, than what I, that important than I, I'd put uh, importance on it, so... Um, so I think from the last few years then um, having the people get in touch messaging me especially people from Pakistani backgrounds or just people from minority backgrounds that have messaged just, just to say oh fair play um, really really um, proud of what you've achieved as an individual and what you're doing in, in the sport and within GA I think um, it's very nice and then obviously at the same time when people are meeting my parents and my dad um the stuff they say to him and that relays back to me um, it's nice to hear as well um, but, but saying that I think I have a lot more to offer um, and do within within uh, the GA in the next few years I think there's a long way to go um, like we, we talked about the incidents this is on the pitch um, where I got that small bit of racial abuse but if I compare that to other individuals I know of people that have got a lot more and get it a lot more and a lot free, more frequently Um I think there needs to be an education or some sort of a, a rollout um, by the GA to educate coaches and players and kids from a young age. And the other thing I'd like to see done is clarity given on punishment. Um, what I mean by that, I'm not looking for an individual to be punished or be sidelined for weeks or months. Um, but I think there needs to be some sort of punishment, whether that's in the form of having to go do a certain amount of hours educating themselves on, on the matter or what the I'm not sure how um what the nitty gritty of, of it would be um but I'd like to see something done on that um but because at the moment like if referees do hear the incidents um I'm not sure what happens I think you get a red card but what happens after that you know um whereas if you box somebody you get a three match ban or if you if you touch a, a match official you get a 12 week ban there's nothing set in stone for racist remarks not just to people from different backgrounds that could be lgbt it could be uh, any sort of minority groups you no know? um, mm-hmm. i think there should be more done on that so i think i'd like to play a part in getting something rolled out within the ga that can helpfully help future kids to stay in the sport first of all like i was um a bit thick-skinned where it didn't it didn't affect me whereas other kids that are trying to trying to enjoy the game first of all and trying to have a bit of fun with their mates when they get racially abused, they could step away from the game and never come back and play the sport again, which would be, um, which would be a loss of the game, I suppose. Um, like uh, my development from a young age to now has been huge. 
what's to say others others can't do that or better it, you know? Um, so I think it'd be a huge loss for clubs and county teams throughout the country and this talent there that needs to be um that's needed to be worked on but kept within the sport. And the only way to do that is to protect them when they are on the pitch that they don't get any racism. Yeah, I suppose and at that on to that point, you know, even you know, looking up, you know, I know you for for a good uh, you know, the last year or so now. Um and it does seem to be that the community and the club, Balladry, know nothing about it, but just looking from the outside, looking in, they seem to be extremely good. This, you know, there's a lot of good GA clubs around, but you know, if if you perhaps were in a different area, you might have fell between the cracks. So to add on to that point, it's important to have, we say, some consequences in play, you know, for yeah. for players because if if they drop out, um, it's not good for the game either. It's not good for their development. It's not good for the community either because they'd be devoid there. Then obviously, you know, if if um if you were if you were if you stop playing football because of racism, you know, just be that sour taste in the in the mouth. Yeah, like like I mentioned before, I'm not looking for somebody to be sidelined. I hate for another child to be punished so severely, but I think there does need to be something in stone. Mm-hmm. So at least it's it's already it's already known. So a child has that in his head. And if it does happen, um the other child then is protected. That's what I mean by the education where I had the sports structure around me. Whereas if I didn't, I'd have doubts in my head, or oh, am I even wanted by my club? Am I actually important to my teammates? Whereas at least if the teammates and everyone is educated and coaches and educator on how to handle it. It'll also show the individual that has been um, uh, abused that they are wanted and they'll have the support structures around them. So I think that's the other side of it that that should be looked at too. Um, before I say no, I'm not retiring you because if I have it, it's asking people this and I, it comes across that I'm retiring the player, and it's not, especially if they're kind of older, like and they they they, they don't like it. But um, you know, a bit of crack and I. But what would you so you? Read between lines, you'd like to kind of keep your, your foot in the, you know, in that area when you do retire down the line. Um, and obviously with GRG, would you like to continue to, you know, to increase awareness around racism? Or do you think when you stop playing football, that would be it? Read between lines, I think you probably still promote it, to be honest. Um, I think it's a space I'd love to continue working on. Um, like even the Super Value campaign this year, um it's all about bringing communities together and where everyone belongs um so i'm an ambassador for that campaign this year and like the platform that we've been given through super value has been huge so things like that and getting people from minority backgrounds in the media and seen and making it known and making it making it your your daily you know kids see it all the time that they see you on tv it, it'd be more accepted and um, i think there isn't enough of that at the moment so that campaign has given a huge amount of light to to the space I want to kind of work in. Um, but to, to answer your, your question, no, I think it, it is a space that I'd like to continue working on, um, regardless of playing football or not playing football. Um, I think there's, there's work to be done in that space, and it's a, it's a, it's a topic that I'm passionate about, so um, hopefully I can, I can make a difference in it. Yeah, that, that super value ad was, um, was actually brilliant, in fairness. You know, how they got the message across so quickly in the ad itself was... Was uh, was excellent in fairness, and um, you know, I suppose to be also looking in, there's kind of a lot of similarities between was there that that in, includes inclusion of of you know of things like that and the the twenty twenty campaign. You know, if she can't see it, she can't be it. So that's why it's important to have people like yourself and from different backgrounds and 
maybe you know different issues out there because you know no one's perfect exactly and if, like you mentioned like the 2020 campaign that was huge to get awareness around ladies football and it's the same same for the topic and um, the space i'm talking about if kids can't see it they're not going to accept it um whereas if if they're if they're seeing it week in week out on tv or on media campaigns or, or on ads then it'll be more accepted um and that, i think that's where a lot of the the funding and education should go to is the kids they're the future and that's what they're going to learn and that's the the, the brains and stuff that you're trying to get the message into so in the future then they can relay that message on in um actually interesting enough i know you lost this minor semi-final um against Kerry in 14 but um have you any um recollection of that game um i know i know um i know keen is playing I, i'm not too sure were you playing were you playing that game or did you get i was yeah um so i, I actually started wing forward on that team so you you mentioned the 2013 team i wasn't actually involved in that 2013 team I was, still, I was under 16 and that's when we won the Ted Webb. So I was minor the two years after, 14 and 15. What um, All-Ireland did you win so? Was it 30? Was it, it was did the, you win a minor? The 2021's All-Ireland. Oh, you didn't win a minor, no? No, I didn't win a minor. I think a few people get confused with that. So I wasn't on that panel at all. You must uh, get on to the Irish Times or whatever it was because <laughs> the information's wrong there, no? Yeah, I think a few people uh, mix it up. But I was actually under 13s or under 16s at the time, so I won a Ted Webb that year. Oh, and then my first year minor was 2014. Um, again, sorry, I've, I've, I've yeah, no, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, what, what the, the just that game stands out to me because a lot of those players from the Kerry team went on, you know, they're on the senior panel now. You have like obviously Mark O'Connor who's gone to Geelong. You have Tom Sullivan and Breno Bebiak. You know, have you any um, recollection of that game? Was it close? I, I was actually, I was actually at it, but I didn't. I don't can't remember watching the minor, the minor game. Yeah. I was probably at the pub, more likely. Was it close? Um, to be honest, I don't remember a whole pile, but I think there could be a bit. Could have been a bit in the in the end. I think there could have been five or seven points. You might correct me on it now. You'll probably have the score there. Yeah, no, um, I, 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 I was actually at the game, but I only saw the second half because I was at, the, I was probably at the bar somewhere, more, more likely. Um, <laughs> oh, thinking about the game now, we did, we had a tough week coming into it, so there was a, I think it was mumps. We had a breakout of mumps in the camp, and so we couldn't actually train properly as a group coming into that week. Uh, and then we, one or two of our players that you'd come on, that had come on first or two subs on, couldn't talk. Um, and then obviously Keane doing his crucial within the first couple of minutes. So we'd um, a couple of things to get over. And unfortunately, we just couldn't get over them. Um, I'd like to think we could have had a different result if we had Keane on the pitch. Like he was a huge leader for us um, and a huge threat going forward between him and then the two guys that I've mentioned. Um, I'd like to have think that we could have turned the, the score, but hindsight's a great thing. Um, yeah. Do you know, um, so it, it is what it is. That 2020, that 20 under 21 team, um, you GC was that you, you beat Dublin in the semi final and beat a you know a strong Cork side as well. What's your memories of that campaign? Like, because they were two, and like that under 21 team you were on, a lot of the lads are, are on the senior side now, aren't they? Yeah, I'd say a good 10 or 12 of them are involved in the panel. Um, what was that like? The whole year in itself was actually such an enjoyable experience um, I know at times people say oh county county training and county um, setup can be a slog and you're you're just dogged whereas we'd we'd um, 
such an enjoyable campaign, not only because we won it, just the way we done everything. Like our management were so um so down to earth, you know. Um you could talk about anything to them, um, which was brilliant. And they gave they gave us the respect, but at the same time they expect us to work hard mm-hmm. and we to maintain our standards. And then the individuals on the team, like you, you look at some of the the guys that were leaders on that team are actually leaders in the senior team now. You've got Jeremy, you've got Stephen Cohn, Connor Loftus, a good few of these guys that are uh, mainstays in the senior team now. Um, they just drove the standards even higher, which improved the whole the whole squad. Um, and then looking back at it, like the Leitrim game, um, we, we had a slow start, ended up winning that well. Or Scammon game, we actually never led in the Connacht final up until the last kick of the game. So we beat Ruskyman right at the death. And then the Dublin game, we had a great start, then a slow second half, we're a couple of points behind, and then right at the death, we got the winner. Um, so just the, the climaxes, I suppose, as a supporter, it was, I'd say it was great watch. Um, and then obviously the court game, there was five goals, you know. Yeah. Um, so looking back at it now, it was a really enjoyable campaign and it brought me on a lot. And um, obviously winning the All-Ireland as part of it too, just tops it off. Yeah, so the, the, that under twenty one was the the dollar and you won. I'm surprised you didn't stop me earlier on when I was revving on about the minor. I think I could have. I I, I went on <laughs> on a on different tangent as well. So that's probably what happened there. Look, remember, no one's listening to this podcast, so you can tell the truth. There's no problem at all. What was Boston twenty nineteen like? Um, how much of a character building experience it was it? Um, Boston twenty nineteen. So the lead up into it, Jamie actually. Um, lead up into it I, I left the county panel um, I left the county panel and within a couple of weeks I decided to go Out, um, outside of football I was in I was in a bad place I had a lot going on at home I was in my third year of college just too much going on and then obviously working on my business I was just all over the place um, and like looking back on my life I look at certain decisions that I've made I said that's probably one of the best decisions I have done um, I went out there and I came back a different person, you know, um, like you, you talk about mental health during lockdown Um, that period. Now I, I was, I was having a difficult time and getting away to Boston and coming home. I came back in a really good place and it, it showed in the club football, like myself and Keen were actually flying that year. And um, we got to the County final uh, in 2019. So like it, it was brilliant for myself individually. Um, and I wouldn't change it. If I could go back in time, I'd probably do the exact same thing again. And what did you learn from that that experience? Because obviously when you're going through it, it's extremely difficult, but you've you've um you've obviously digested it well since. I suppose it just gave me a break. Uh, like I was able to get away from my life at the time, which was so heavily involved around football, my business, my family. Um just gave me a bit of time to myself and I was able to um focus myself and gather myself a bit um and it gave me a break away from everything at the same time. I suppose it was brilliant to get myself refreshed and more focused um, and then see the importance in things in life and certain things and um, weigh up how important other things are and what should be given the time preference, you know. Um, so from that, I came back uh, refreshed and a different person mentally and physically, I suppose. Tell us about, um, first of all, before I go any further, I, I look at the, the support yourself and Keen and Tom has given you know, I've given an Inside View podcast over the last, you know, at the last 65 episodes, not much, well, 64 now when this goes out, um, has been incredible. And we, you know, I appreciate it. And, you know, it, it means a lot for, you know, for you to, to show faith in us. 
but I'd love to, you know, for the listeners to gain an insight into why and how you came up with uh, GRG Sports and the name. Um, why, I suppose, um, like being being players ourselves, still we're, we're playing. So we were, I suppose, at the time I was 21. It was in between my 20th and 21st birthday. So I was I was young, but at the same time, I'd played GA for a long time. Tom had represented Ireland at International Dude, had played for Mayo for years and years. Keen having his experience at home and in Brisbane. Um, we just came together and we, we seen a gap in the market. Um, but saying that, like we, we knew we could bring the quality that players wanted to have being players ourselves and still playing at the highest level. So we, we felt we could um, get the, the, the right products, but at the same time at the right prices. Like you look at other suppliers out there um, the costs and the, the burdens being put on clubs and players um, was huge whereas we're trying to bring affordable gear which is at the highest quality um, that's what we're trying to do at the moment and that's why we came together and then we've seen the, the gap in the market as well and um, we've gone from strength to strength in the last three and a half years I suppose one of the selling points in the we say the um, backroom administration aspect of it would be the fact that you know, you have a direct link with maybe suppliers in in Pakistan. Yeah, so I think um, be, that that language that we talked about and having the language earlier is huge, um, which which worked huge for our business, I suppose. A lot of suppliers in Pakistan, I'm, I'm able to communicate freely. I've been over and met some of the suppliers, and then having family over there, it helps. It helps a lot as well. Um, so that's that's a huge bonus that we have. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say was. I think you asked about the name. Mm. So the name Game Ready Gear. So what we're trying to do at suppose our message to start was we were like players, coaches, everyone puts in huge effort into getting themselves fit for games and preparing for matches. But then you look at some of the quality of gear they get or they're let down by suppliers that they don't get the gear. So what we were trying to do at the time was we were trying to repay the players' hard work by not charging them huge fortunes by getting them the gear to get them ready for the game. Um, like something I live by uh, and I, I still say is uh, looking look in the part is half the battle. You can all the hard work you want, but if you don't, like imagine rocking up in the baggy jerseys from the 90s or whatever, you know, um, yeah. would players perform the same? I don't know. Maybe it's like psychological and it's only in my head, but I think you need to look the part. So that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to get um, players and teams looking the part, getting to the games to repay the hard work they've done, but at a, an affordable price rather than forking out on an arm and a leg to pay for it. Yeah, and the, the one of the big things there is you give um, a financial kickback as well to the clubs, don't you? Yes, what we've started doing recently is um, we, we're trying to get clubs on on board for a year for a long term. And uh, um, within that, we, we offer, uh, first of all, a fitting service. So we come down ourselves and bring a range of products and a range of sizes and open up the whole club. So... Initially, we're trying to get the club to look like one. Um, like at the moment, if you look at a number of clubs, they'll have underage gear from one supplier, um, minor gear from another supplier, senior gear from another supplier, and the range of colours is completely different. There's no unity. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to bring the club back together so it's all one. And then, given that fitting service, so people know the sizes, they know exactly what they're getting. And then the third thing you mentioned was the kickback. So we're like like with the COVID pandemic, you, you mentioned like clubs don't have the money. We're, what we're trying to do is give affordable gear to 
uh, supporters and the players. But through that, we like to give something back to the club, um, whether that's in gear credit or um, through um, through cash through us. So they, they get a choice. Obviously, you get a higher percentage in gear credit, um, but they do have the other side, and it's an easy way for them to get um, generate revenue. Whereas at the moment, there's teams getting gear from uh, whatever, let's say uh, supplier X, but then the club gets nothing for it. So what we're trying to do is keep the customer happy, keep the club happy, and then by ticking them to boxes, we're happy, you know? So it's a win-win for all three parties, and that's what we're trying to do. And that's something you'd explore with, with clubs if they um, if they're interested in that, you know, about the what avenues and what, what you can do for them specifically. Yeah, so we're, we're, at the moment, we're trying to finalise the right term for us. At the, at the moment, we call it the kickback scheme, but we're just trying to come up with a, a better term for it. Um, so we'll have something more concrete on it in the next couple of weeks. And uh, that's something we're really looking forward to and getting out to the clubs because it, it is a market and clubs have... Um, Clubs have a huge, huge avenue to, to generate revenue. Um, at the moment, it isn't being utilised by the clubs. So um, hopefully now this is something we can uh, work with the clubs and, uh, and they can see the, the options that are available and we're happy to work with them on, on all the admin aspect and look after all that side of things, you know. Um, like when we started off, our club was uh, keeping stock of um, socks and shorts. Um, in the clubhouse but then let's say you're looking for socks and shorts you're messaging somebody and then they have to go to the clubhouse get them and let's say it's on a Saturday when you don't have socks and shorts it was just too messy and then have the club having to keep stock we're trying to push all that away and manage it all for the clubs Mm -hmm. so um, that's another thing that we offer is they don't have to worry about stock taking or anything and we'll kind of look after it you know so it frees up that individual for the club that they can put that work in somewhere else because and like any club around the country, most of them are all the voluntary and it's an awful shame for somebody to be going up and down to the clubhouse a couple of times a week just so somebody can get their socks and shorts. Um, so that's something that we um, try and take away the hassle of it all from the club as well, you know, so it's not just the, the, the financial uh, that the club gets, it's more so getting rid of some of them hassle and pains of having to delegate somebody to go and um, get somebody looked after. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. No, it definitely does. And like even the the you know the the gear that I've um I got off you is, is has been top quality and the you know the service has been brilliant. So hopefully more clubs and once you finalise the let's say the wording, specific wording of that, um we'll be on board and you know we'd be we'd be happy to explore avenues down in Kerry as well for you. Brilliant. Um did you set up the business initially yourself first day and you brought Keen and, and Tom on or, or were the two boys always involved? The two boys were always all involved from the start. Um, I had the, the contacts with the supplier, but we kind of, um, Keen or Tom had showed interest. He, he'd mentioned it previously, and Keen just coming home. Um, we were really friendly beforehand, so I pitched it to him, and he was um, keen to get involved. So the three of us sat down and started her off from scratch, I suppose, three and a half years ago. Um, and we, we're here now, three and a half years later, so we're doing brilliant. something right. Brilliant, brilliant. No, you, you got through the, the pandemic, and look, it's it's uh it'll, it'll, it'll go through it'll, it'll go in the right direction just have to keep the head down how yeah. i love asking on entrepreneurs this um how did your perception differ from the reality of entrepreneurship go again sorry jamie i didn't catch that sorry um how did perception differ to the reality of entrepreneurship how did it differ um 
like at the start when you're looking to set up a business people don't realize the work that goes into it um like during that lockdown period i know everything was shut the work we put in like people probably think we're daft but uh, we took on a premises in in the first lockdown and we took on an employee when there was so much uncertainty um so like the work that goes into um everything organization getting everything set up um it's it's huge and people don't realize it like we were putting in nine ten hour shifts for i think five six weeks straight there for a period of time um so i think you need to put in the work to get the, the to reap the benefits out of it at the end and that's what at times people don't realize and looking back at it that was one of the main things that has uh, really stood out to me over the last three years it's when it's your business you can never really take the time off you know you're probably aware of that yourself and when you're working with somebody, it's a nine to five and you're done. But with, with your own business, you're never really clocked off. You're never um, you're never off the clock, if that makes sense. No, I sleep when I open all the time. All the time. <laughs> well, you carry you carry fellas are different now and there anyways. It wouldn't surprise me. Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, you never know who's around the corner. <laughs> um, actually, yeah, but before I go into it any further, I'd like to just point out the, the retro carry top that um that that was sent down um and look thanks as well for for sending that down to us it's been it's it's unbelievable the the fitting um the quality and it's uh it's very similar to what it was in the, in the 80s you know and that that brilliant carry team um is that an avenue you've been exploring the retro kit it is yeah so we put a, quite some work into it um uh, i'm going to name check a certain individual here now billy mcguire uh, has done a lot of work on the design aspect of um oh yeah, really, yeah 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 so he's been huge for us now phenomenal i can't talk highly of the man Um, he's put in a lot of work with us on the designs and that was his idea so we started off with the mayo retro jersey which was huge and mm-hmm. we got great feedback and uh, sold a lot of them so hopefully we can see them now in the semi-final and hopefully the final when they uh, get to it Um, and then we have other co- counties on the way obviously the Kerry one that you have we've another few counties that were uh, just getting right it's something that we want to get out there but we want to make sure everything is right and yeah. get the timing and everything on that right too so um the carry one now we, we look forward to launching that in the next few weeks and hopefully it's as good of a success as the, the mayo retro jersey uh, so it's, it's not launched yet is it officially it isn't yes so it's, it's not available for anyone else to buy so you're one of the lucky ones to get your hands oh, on it uh, <laughs> and career, if it, wait, when it is launched how how can people go about it because I, I'll, I'll probably get a couple of messages about it um, it's pretty simple. You just go onto our website, GRG Sports. If you um, just pop that into Google and go into the, the shop shop button, there's a number of products there and one of them will be the, the retro jersey. So Mayo retro jersey is already up there and the carry retro jersey will be up there and when we have it launched. Oh, brilliant. You can buy it directly. So off, Buy it directly. So it's like buying um, buying from uh, any, any uh, online store. Uh, you, you, you pay for it at the time and you pop in your delivery address and your contact details and you get it in the post and you have it within five to seven working days brilliant 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 fair play to Billy like she's always thinking of something as well there must be a breed of a carry man in him like <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's, he's been a gem for us now so I can't um, can't thank him enough and I'm I'm glad now you brought him up so I, I could get a name check and get him out there so he'd be delighted with that too and... yeah, yeah, yeah no great man in fairness to me Jim to Jim to fairness um you know, I, I have probably touched on already, 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 but yeah, I've edited that out and I'm going to have to repeat myself. But look, um, Cheryl, how important is, you know, obviously the the um, team where market out the moment is extremely congested. Everyone, everyone added, everyone is added and you're, you know, you're trying to be trying to be different. How, impar- how important is the brand 
GRG? You know, if you know what I'm trying to ask. Um, how important is it? Yeah, so like the last three and a half years, um, we've really worked on our processes um, and to make sure our customers got quality. Um, so I think that's what we're really um, pushing out there that we're trying to get quality. Um, and because we've been around for three and a half years, people have got to know us. Um, and then the three of us that are, that are involved in, between Tom, Keen, and myself, um, we have our contacts there as well. So I think people are more inclined to give us give us a shot. And then obviously our pricing and quality backs it up. So they're happy to stay with us. Like most of the clubs that we work with have stayed on board with us and are constantly running club shops through us. So that it, that in itself speaks for itself, you know. Um, and then as you mentioned, the brand, like we're slowly growing. Initially we we're just with, within Mayo. Now we're we're working with three or four clubs in Sligo. We're working with two or three clubs in Ruscommon. And we've done a couple of orders in Galway, Cavan, Clare. Like we're we're slowly trying starting to grow uh, and expand. We've done a number of orders in the UK, and recently um, we, we've done for one for Lucan and Ballyboden. So we're slowly breaking into the Leinster and Dublin market too. So um, at 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 the start, if you'd if you'd told us that that we'd be selling stuff to Dublin clubs, I would have, I would have laughed at you, you know. Um, whereas now it, it's it's reality. So um, we're getting there. About getting your name out there isn't really and it's about like the brand because people buy off like you know you have the product which is important because if the product's bad people will talk about that but the product is, is excellent but at the same time it's important to have people out there because people buy off off the person really don't they exactly yeah so we, we want to ensure that people aren't just getting it for the person they're getting it for the quality as well and once you're getting the right quality for the right price they're going to uh, market it for us they're going to sell it for us like other clubs have gotten us in touch with um like i'll i'll talk of tulse here now tulse recently ordered with us they couldn't get over the service uh, and the quality they passed us on to castlery so clubs are now starting to sell for us and um, which is brilliant you know they're passing our information on to other clubs and they're coming back to us as well so um hopefully it keeps keeps going on like this and we keep growing um, how how are you how are you dealing with social media? Um, you know because it's probably it's you know there's a fine line of spending too much time on it and getting too sucked into that area, and leaving we say the actual work fall away of of GRG. Um, so the question is if we're spending much time on social media. Yeah, how, how do you, how do you deal with that fine line? Let's say. Um, well, like with everything we do, we try and make sure that it's we, we have, a, as, as you've probably seen on Instagram page, we try and get everything up there. Um, so if there's a customer ever looking, at least they can go, oh, well, I'm whatever podcast they've done work for on the ball team building mm-hmm. or they've done, you know, or if, if they're a, a gym, they can look at other gyms that have got gear through us. So we're trying to um, increase the range and make people aware of all the different organizations and clubs that we have worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think which is very important um, for somebody new looking on from the, the outside when they can see that huge range um, and then they can see something they want already within um, already promoted on the, the Instagram and the Facebook and the Twitter um, uh, social media pages so um, it, 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 that's the way I suppose uh, the business world is gone at the moment you know mm-hmm. uh, you've got the, the, the Instagram shop incorporated in as well and um, the way the the way the world is um, changing and evolving. Gone are the days where people went into shops and looked at stuff. It's all through clicking of a button or you're swiping through Instagram and you see something you like and brings it directly onto a page where you can buy it and you've your shopping done within two minutes. You know, um, so I think we're trying to maintain and keep up with 
keep up with the changes. But you have found um, the shop, we say the actual physical shop, been beneficial as well, have you? Um, so when we say we got a premises, when I mean, what I mean by that is it's more so a storage space than an office space. So that's where we'd work out from. Mm. Um, and then what we'd like to get get that to is is do a pop-up shop every couple of weeks. So maybe every every weekend or something. We, we haven't finalized that yet. But at the moment, we're kind of an office space and a storage space in there at the moment. We've run one pop-up shop, which was before Christmas, which was a huge success. So that's something we're looking at, but with COVID and restrictions and guidelines and so so on, it was just uh, it just wasn't worth a while in the last few months. But it is something we're looking at now and having a pop up shop there. Um, so the premises we're in actually just to give you a bit, bit of history on it, it was actually a sportswear shop beforehand, Egan Sports. So people know of it, and um, we've got a lot of messages to say that it'd be great to see a, a shop in there. Um, so that's why we want to try and address that and get something in there even if it's just once a week or once every two weeks so uh, again it's something that needs to be finalized and hopefully we can sort out in the next few weeks brilliant hopefully things will keep up up now and allow you to, to do that look we're coming towards the end now so I'll, I'll, uh, I won't keep you long would you um, you know would you be an early morning person and if so what would your routine be would I be an early morning person? Um, That's a no, if, so if you have to think about it. <laughs> well, well, no, I, I no, but if I had to get up, I'd, I'd be up. Do you know if that makes sense? Um, yeah. Like I was working, um, I was working in two gyms. I was working in Andy's gym where morning shift was, I think, at half six or quarter past six. And before that, I was working in GNS Fitness. Um, Shane Lyons, who used to be a Fermanagh footballer, I was working for him in Dublin um, before my, so I was doing my internship, internship with Tennis Ireland. So I started working with him before. So I started my internship at nine o'clock. I worked with him from, I was on the gym floor at 5.45 in the morning till half eight. So I got my couple hours work done in the morning. Um, so my point being is if I had to get up, I'd be up. Whereas if I don't have a reason to be up, I, I do like my sleep and I do like my sleep. So um, you can take that however you want it. Yeah, I know, I know that's fair enough. Yeah, because like, I've asked some people before and they're like, not the hope in the world would they get up before nine o'clock. Like, but uh yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Just one thing I fear I'd like to get your insight into what qualities would you have learned from we say Andy through the years that you've seen come out through you in the way you deal and manage people? What qualities? I suppose initially being able to communicate with people. Um like going back to my secondary school, at the start of secondary school, um Again, this might come across, it might come across differently to other people, whereas I was really shy. Um, so, do you know, when you were, you were sitting in class and you might be asked to read and it's going around and you know you're coming up, it's your turn coming up to read a certain part of whatever your history or geography, or whatever you're on. I used to dread that. Like my eyes would start watering. Um, you know, you start kind of shaking. I just hated talking. So being able to stand up in front of people and being able to hold a conversation and not panicking, that's one thing that's, Helped me a huge, huge amount for myself. And then other qualities like being being personable and being able to communicate effectively to people. Um, and then obviously his leadership qualities, like he's he's all the all the staff, same enough to same him sheet, and everyone feels important and a part of the team. Um, so that's another one. Um, and then obviously his organization, like he's he's got a family, he's got kids, he's he was involved with me over years, he was running his own business. So the organization that went in from his part and then the, the 
injuries that he's had. So not only was he involved in football, but he had to go above and beyond to make sure he was able to stay fit and healthy and beyond the pitch. So he was doing so much more outside of football. Um, so I think the organisation that he's put in, um, I've been able to learn from too. So I think that there are three or four main ones that you can um, pick off, mm-hmm. Andy. And now, sure, how do you relax and wind down now these days? You know, when you're doing your Masters and you're doing GRG, like it's hard to switch off because if, if you're not doing one, you're probably thinking the other. Um, how do I switch off? How do I switch off? Um, to be honest, at the moment, Jamie, I'm just so focused on getting my thesis and getting GRG to a place where we're well known. So I'm happy to put the work in. Whereas once I get my thesis finished, I'd like to um, take a break for a week or two and head off somewhere, you know. Um, so I suppose getting away, like I was in Donegal this weekend for a couple of days. Um, a few weeks ago, I was in Belfast. So just getting away where you can just turn off the phone and you're not, you're not worried about your thesis, or you're not worried about football, or you're not worried about GRG. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think getting away every couple of weeks um, helps me just to refocus and refresh myself and come back re-energised and ready to go. Who we went on Sam McGuire this year? Um, that's a million dollar question. If only I knew the answer to that. Um, <laughs> Kerry, you're, you're flying yourselves. Um, you'll, be, you'll be tough stop. Um, Dublin, Dublin are a well-oiled machine. Um, so that'll be a great game between Mayo and Dublin. Um, Should be a cracker now, I think. Yeah, I think they think Mayo are coming in fairness to them. Yeah, I think they're doing yeah. well. And then being a Mayo supporter, I'd love Mayo to win. So uh, I'm going to have to say Mayo for that sake, but like there's three brilliant teams there. Like Kerry are flying, Dublin are flying, Mayo are coming along nicely. And then Tyrone have had a, a good run in the Ulster Championship as well. So um, it'll be tough enough. To, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough pick one, but being the Mayo supporter, I'm going to go with Mayo. Everyone know since I started asking this question, it catches a lot of people. Um, I did an interview this morning and he's a, uh, High performance um, analyst with massive organization, sporting organization. The podcast will be up later on, or it'll be up last week. This podcast will go out. And I caught him as well in this. But what would two non negotiables be for you from a personal perspective and from a business perspective? Let's go with personal perspective. What do you mean by non negotiables? Two daily non negotiables. So Right, you can be basically go down to look. You get up and you know you have a slice of toast or a cup of tea, or you'd you text your parents, or you um, it's, it's more often than not it's something you do without even thinking every day, or even make your bed. Like for example, that's something like I I do it just has to be done. Like if that's not done, yeah, I think that that's one that point jumps out straight away. Once I hop out of bed, I think start my day off right. I have to make my bed and have it ready. So when I do go to bed the following night, it's 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 looking nice and it's not all scruffy and whatever. So that'd be the first thing. Um, I'm I'm a really bad man for social media. Um, so I, I could spend hours on it at a time. So I think that'd be the next thing when I get up, I'll spend a few minutes on my phone just going flicking through social media. So I'd say that's that's two straight away in the morning that I'd take off. Well, from a business perspective with GRG, like would it be something that every day you'd like to get done or an ethos that you live by every day when you're doing stuff for GRG, for example, um, with hard work kind of goes without saying, but, um, you know, like if you're doing work, you want to be, you know, no shortcuts or something like that. Um, but like, I'm not sure if this is one, but I'd say like 
every day I, I, I do any sort of work with GRG, I try and make it better. So like, I, I believe like even if you're doing a small amount every day, if you can make improve by 1%, at the end of the year, you've improved by so much more. Um, so that's what I always try and do whenever I'm sitting down and do some sort of work. How can I improve something? Or how can I do something better? Or how can I get GRG more out there? Um, so that's always in the back of the head. Have any superstitions? Have I any superstitions? I wouldn't say so. No. That's great. That's great. No, I got I got, got great ones before. Um, but that's that's for another day. I'll feed you in some other time about that. <laughs> look, Shiroz, um, I, I took enough of your time because I know you've a lot on at the moment. Um, but look, I really appreciate you coming on Inside View podcast and look best look with GRG going forward and best look with your um with your thesis as well. Thanks a million, Jamie. Now I really enjoyed the chat the last while and hopefully uh, listeners and viewers watching and listening can take something away from it. And if there's anyone that I can help out with, especially in the, the racism and uh, inclusion and diversity space, I'd be more than happy to help so they can get me on any of my social media platforms, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever it is, I'd, uh, I'll try and help out in any way I can. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks a million, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks a million, Sean. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Shiroz and would like to take this opportunity to thank Shiroz again for coming on Inside View podcast and best luck to him, Tom and Keen with GRG Sports going forward. That is all from us in this week's podcast. Please do get in contact with the show if you'd like to be part of any way possible. You can email us info on the ball team You can follow us on social media. So over on Instagram, it's at underscore on the ball team building. Over on Facebook, it's on the ball team building. Over on Twitter, it's at we're on the ball two. That is digit two. You'll find us on LinkedIn on the ball team building, and you'll also find us on TikTok on the ball team building. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in next week, which will be actually the last episode of an Inside View podcast, when we have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred on it fain. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.